Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Welcome again to another Impact Tonight of the Impact of Educational Leadership. This is episode 58. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's panelist is Nancy Rodriguez. Ms. Rodriguez, please say hello to the people. Hi, I'm Nancy Rodriguez, and I'm running for Dallas ISD D2 trustee. Hello, everyone. All right. Hello, hello. Well, tonight's topic, DISD's post-COVID-19 procedures. School stakeholders want to know what policies school districts are using to help schools and agencies to maintain constant communication during and after COVID-19. About six months ago now, after this illness was first identified, medical researchers are learning about its long-term effects. We now know that this illness can cause heart damage, neurological issues that include strokes and lung damage. Dr. Ethne Farsi, a trusted source, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, denotes that another potential debilitating consequence of the infectious post-viral syndrome will affect the brain by causing brain fog fatigue and difficulty in concentrating. Dr. Farsi also said at the International AIDS Conference that this is something we really need to take serious because a spike will happen in the month of October. This is October now. And so what does this mean for education? What does it mean as it relates to the contingency plans moving forward that need to be set in place while students are continually returning back on school campuses during this outbreak. November 3rd is right around the corner. We will continually need and expect our school districts, especially our Dallas ISD trustees to make intelligent, informed decisions. I say again, we will continually need and expect our Dallas ISD trustees are to continue to make intelligent, informed decisions, especially when it comes to this new bond, this new $3.7 billion bond coming up in November. Tonight we have uh, Nancy Rodriguez. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we get into this discussion. Uh, well, Nancy grew up in a working class family in Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Her parents, who came to New York from Puerto Rico, understood the value of education and made sure that she would receive a good one. She attended her neighborhood school, then Forham University, where she graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and finally Hunter College, C-U-N-Y, for a master's of social work. She currently lives in Lakewood with her husband, Barry, and their two kids. She is a Dallas ISD parent, so she understands firsthand the struggles parents are facing and dealing with especially in this pandemic. Nancy, how are you doing? We want to thank you for joining us tonight on the Impact Education Leadership. 
Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, yes, yes. The pleasure is all ours. Uh, you know, I got a question for you. Uh, my first question for you is, could the district have done more to expound on this bun uh, that's coming up in November? And if they could have, how so? That's my question for you. So, you know, this bond is something that has me very concerned. Um, the district is pushing for a $3.7 billion bond and getting ready to ask for the voters on November 3rd. And they have several propositions on there. But I am concerned because this, uh, this is a quite a large bond. And given the circumstances that we find ourselves in with COVID, I am not convinced that this bond, a bond of this scale, makes sense. So there are a couple of reasons why I'm opposed to this bond, but I would be for a more reasonable, smaller bond. Um, and one of the things is that we've had a lack of transparency and accountability in our school district. And there have been some recent issues that have been very concerning. One was the departure of the chief internal auditor back in February. After he reported to me personally, and he put it in an email, that there was a pattern of overpayments on these job order construction contracts. So what that means is that they would hire someone to put a new roof, let's say, on Hillcrest, and they agreed upon price was 150000 and then they would pay 250000 And this auditor had concerns. He believed that, um, that there, there was fraud going on and that there was an attempt to cover this fraud up. And then after he revealed this, um, he was... Uh, told that they were going to do a review of his performance and he wound up leaving the school district. But we still don't have answers about what happened with that. What happened with that pattern of overpayment and where is the money? Where did that additional money go? Where did it go? Are we making an effort to get it back? Um, I heard that there was a, a, a federal investigation underway, but we don't know what the details are around that. And also, if they intend to pass this bond, um, and once they put these bonds out there, they're going to have to reveal what's going on with the federal investigation, right? Because that's a part of getting the bond out there. Um, and there's been very little um, transparency around that issue. Then we had the problems at Thomas Jefferson High School, where the construction company that they initially hired was fired. And um, they haven't done a good job of securing that, that site. I can tell you I went up there and I had somebody tell me that was a DISC personnel that was on the property that everything had been cleaned up after the tornado so that construction could begin. But it never began and it was never secured. And now the place is a mess because vandals went in and they broke trophy cases and they turned on the water and they did all this stuff. So now we're back to hiring another company. And every time that happens, we're using taxpayer dollars, right? So this isn't helpful. Um, and this is a poor use of, uh, you know, shows little respect for the district's resources and is very concerning. Then we had our chief of operations, Scott Lang, also resigned. And we've had several um, resignations of people in um, high positions at the district, uh, administrators in uh, positions of authority. We had Stephanie Elizalde leave. We had Elizabeth Casas leave recently. We had the chief of communications, Tony Cordova, leave. And this is very concerning because we need people that are going to 
be dedicated, that are going to be running things and prepared to keep an eye on everything that's going on and to be accountable and transparent and to answer to the public and to the taxpayers about what's going on with these issues. And when we have that lack of transparency, it doesn't give me a lot of trust and it doesn't inspire confidence in me to approve a bond of this scale. Then when COVID hit, everything shut down. We're doing distance learning. I personally am doing distance learning because that's the best choice for my family. Both my husband and my son are high risk. So I'm keeping my daughter at home and we're doing distance learning for her at home. And with the distance learning, we lost a lot of students. The district has lost 15,000 students. So that means they now have less revenue. And with less revenue, I don't see how they can say that the bond is not going to cause a, uh, a tax increase. And the language on the bond specifically says that this is a tax increase. If you vote for this, it is a tax increase. But there's a PAC called Dallas Votes for Kids, and they've been saying that it was not going to require a tax increase and that they'll amortize 10 years of capital improvement over 30 years. Well, I don't know that that really makes sense because would you spend uh, 30 years paying off a car that you are only going to have for 10 years? I, I think that we need to go back to the drawing board and do a, a smaller bond and I also find it disturbing that on their Facebook page, Dallas Folks for Kids, when people ask questions or comment, and I'm not talking about people that are just looking to make trouble or, or make insults and comments. I'm talking about legitimate questions and comments. They would take down those comments, and now they've shut off the comments. So, again, it speaks to the lack of transparency and the lack of accountability that we have seen from our school district. And we need to improve on that. And again, we've lost 15,000 students. If the district does not have the revenue, they are either going to have to lay off staff or increase taxes. And neither one is desirable. And we can avoid it by being cautious and doing a smaller bond now and then maybe going to the voters in another two years and asking for another bond. Also, there are a lot of projects in this bond that don't make sense. We are losing students, and yet we're opening new schools. There's $100 million on a downtown Montessori school, and we don't have enough students to fill it, and we don't have enough Montessori-trained teachers. We have $100 million for a performing arts center. I love the performing arts. I love to give children the opportunity to have exposure to the arts. But we have many performing arts venues that are being underutilized in Dallas. And I think that at this time, we can't invest $100 million in a new facility. So these are some of the questions that I have, some of the concerns, and I think that the district could be more transparent. And going back to that contractor issue, let's not forget that approximately three years ago, Zachariah Manning brought to the forefront that the construction department was doing job stacking. That means they were breaking up the jobs into smaller jobs so that they wouldn't have to get board approval. So that $150,000 roof that we're putting on Hillcrest High School, they would break it up into... $50,000 or $49,000 and increments smaller than $50,000 so that they didn't require board approval. And again, it speaks to the lack of transparency and the lack of accountability. We don't want to be in a situation where our property values go down and they're laying off teachers or they're increasing our taxes. Um, I think that we need to be cautious and we need to be prudent 
because there's so much going on right now with our economic situation across the board um, on the local level, on a national level, that I think the more responsible thing to do is to be cautious. Nancy, you know, I keep hearing you use the word transparency, and I, I really feel like you've been very transparent tonight in this discussion. Also keep hearing you tie in accountability. Someone is accountable, someone is accountable. And I hear your heart when you started talking about the neighborhood schools, when you started talking about the investments in our neighborhood schools. Where are the investments going? That's the question. You know, yes. your, your very, your very first job, your, your, your very first job out of college, I believe, was working with vulnerable children, right? Yes. Talk about transparency. That, that's a transparent job. You know, I think you worked as a foster care social worker. And then over that course of, of nearly, I believe, 25 years of doing that, you worked for foster care agencies. So you don't get the opportunity to work for these agencies if you don't have a good track record, right? And so you work no. for these social service no. agencies in New York City. So we're talking about New York City. You're talking about this city never sleeps. Right. And you right. walk and you work in, for the New York Legal Aid Society. And then you brought that experience from New York to another metropolitan, Dallas. Yes. Which is also a melting pot. And you brought that experience yes. to Dallas ISD. And there you you help children uh, plan with, with health planning. And you work as an advocate. You work on behalf of, of children, of kids, and their families. In addition to that, you weren't paid. You volunteered. You volunteered your services. You volunteered countless hours as an advocate, as an educator for families and and outside of your neighborhood. Oh, and yeah, you absolutely. did this and you did this for children. You did this for special needs children. And I believe you did it mostly in Dallas. Yes. So what I'm saying yes. is you don't get to do things like that. You don't get to to exude energy like that unless you are passionate. Unless you I, have passion. I, I am very passionate. I'm, I'm very passionate. I love working with underserved and vulnerable populations. I've been doing it my whole career. I started in 1994. Um, I was fortunate to work for a really good agency in New York for a couple of really good agencies. Um, and now I, I live in Dallas. Dallas is my home. It's been my home for the past 14 years. And, um, and I continued to work with vulnerable populations. And I saw that there was a need with the students in special education and students with um, special needs and learning differences that we don't do a great job of serving them, that many times parents have to navigate really um, difficult obstacles that they have to overcome in order to just get basic services for their kids. And, uh, you know, being bilingual was an advantage because I could help out um, that community. And I'll help anyone. I don't care if you're in my district, if you speak English or you speak another language. Um, you know, I will find a way to, to reach out to you, to help you, to offer my support or to connect you with somebody who can, who can assist you. And I love doing it. Um, parents are so appreciative. The kids are so wonderful. Um, and, um, and, and I won't stop. I'll, I'll never stop advocating for these kids. Absolutely. And we thank you for that. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Now, I want you to be prepared. 
because I'm going to need you to translate this next question. After you say it in English, yeah, after you say it in English, I'm going to ask of you to translate it in Spanish. Okay? Well, I didn't so say my, my Spanish is, was perfect, but I don't let it stop me if I don't know something. I just keep it moving. <laughs> okay, okay. With that being said, my question for you is, how should the trustees allay parents' fears about these stressful days? I know this is a difficult question because we're in a time of uncertainty, right? But how, what are some ways that we can help ease those fears about yeah. sending their, their children to school? Now, you, told, you just told the listening audience that, you know, because of um, some medical concerns, of, yeah. of your husband, Barry, and, and your child that for right now, they're doing distant learning and there's nothing wrong with that. But right. for kids that, but for kids that, that um, don't have to uh, use that approach, right? And they can actually go to the school, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what are some fears that, that parents, uh, well, as many fears that they have, but what are, what are some things you can tell them uh, to help kind of ease that the, those fears, and then of course, what might they do about if if schools, you know, they reopen but then they close again? Which we hope that doesn't happen, but we know that that's still floating around, you know, somewhere over our heads that that's a possibility that once schools start back, that sometime when the spike comes in, that you know they'll have to close them down again. That's that's my question. And please translate what you can in Spanish. Thanks. <laughs> um. ¿Cómo los representantes del Distrito Escolar de Dallas pueden ayudar a, a, a los padres que no, que no tengan miedo a mandar sus hijos a la escuela? ¿Y qué podemos hacer cuando las escuelas quizás abren y luego tienen que cerrar por el virus? So, I'll, say, I'll answer your, your, uh, your last question first about uh, the off and on school closures. I think that at this point, everybody knows we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is nothing new, nothing surprising, um, and that the district just has to plan ahead for any circumstance, right? So in anticipation that there could be a situation where we have a bad outbreak um, or where it becomes um, difficult to contain or a lot of you know teachers or kids are getting hospitalized and um, the best um, protocol is to close the schools or to keep kids home, that the district needs already planned for that, ready to go. Um, like I said, this is, I mean, everybody knows we're in the middle of a pandemic. So planning ahead is super important. In terms of um, allaying parents' fears, you know, I think just offering better communication and keeping parents and not just parents, keeping parents and teachers in the loop when they're making decisions, when they don't know what to do. I mean, ask your communities, ask them what they would like to see and what they want because every community is different and you don't know what, you know, you may think that a parent is afraid to send the child to school because of a particular reason and it turns out it could be another reason. So really staying engaged with the community, asking questions, listening to feedback, holding listening sessions, and having it include district staff and not just parents and children, I think is super important. And then they need to review um, their processes and make sure that we have enough protective um, 
equipment, that there's enough PPE for teachers and students. And I have to tell you, I've heard from a couple of teachers, from a, not just teachers, from a couple of um, people that work from the district that they, um, they don't feel that the, the environment where they're working provides enough PPE. And that's very concerning um, because we need to keep everybody that's on site safe, whether you're a teacher, an administrator, whatever your role is, everybody needs to be safe. Um, making sure that technology works is another big issue. It can be very scary for some parents. I had one parent start to cry over the phone with me, one of my clients. Uh, she just called me out of the blue and she started crying and she was crying because she doesn't know how to operate technology, and she was concerned that her student wasn't going to be able to learn online. And she was so frustrated and so scared that he was going to miss out on his last year of school, and this is a child with special needs, that she started crying. So making sure that all our students have technology, that parents know how to use it, that it works, that we have enough hotspots, that we have enough devices, I think we could have done, been a little bit more proactive by offering some kind of training or um, some kind of a, of a WebEx or a Zoom call to teach parents how to log on, maybe do a little bit of practice before going live, and they can still do that. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity that's out there, especially if there's the possibility that we may be going back to virtual in the future. So this is something that the district can get ahead on. Reviewing processes, for example, like processes for, um, for busing. I've been hearing a lot of busing concerns for those kids that are going to school in person and making sure every campus has a nurse. Uh, that's something that we need to ensure that there are nurses and how they handle when a child isn't feeling well and how they share that information with parents so that they know what the protocols and the processes are. So that's some of the ways that the district can work to allay parents' fears and to make it less stressful for them. And also explaining the grading system. What are we going to do about grades if a student can't log on for a test or if, or if they lose connectivity? I mean, it's happened to, to, to my daughter here in my home where she's been kicked off of her, her call or she hasn't been able to log in. How is the district going to deal with those issues when they arise? And making sure that something like that, that we're not being punitive towards our students or towards our teachers. Wow, wow. You know, that was a wonderful response. It really was. I've seen you in the field. You've spent countless hours helping dozens of families, helping them navigate Dallas ISD, especially in the world of special education and disability service systems. And you have attended countless ARDs and 504 conferences. I've seen you address this, the board, the, the Dallas Independent School Board, and, and lobbied its members on multiple occasions. I've seen you speak in churches downtown in Dallas, advocating for policies. These policies were for not only the kids, not only the children, but also the parents in the schools. 
You did it to, I believe you did it to ensure that every child receives fair and appropriate public education. I believe that you are an advocate for public education. And I know that you understand that. And what I'm saying, I know you understand it firsthand. So with that being said, my question for you, what policies, what policies are other school districts using to help schools and agencies maintain cons consistent communication with their prospective students and prospective stakeholders? Now, let me say this. I have said it many times on many occasions that right now I believe Dallas ISD is spearheading school districts in this area as it relates to getting out communication. When they got those hotspots out there and those one-to-one -one devices to the kids, to the children, it, it put them on a higher bar. But my question to you is, what are some of the policies that you're seeing other school districts use that we could maybe, Dallas ISD can maybe adopt uh, for, for their students and prospective students? That's my question. Well, in terms of policies, I, I will say that uh, other school districts are, in, are engaging their, their stakeholders. Um, and they're, they're coming up with, a, with plans and um, their plans tend to be pretty comprehensive. Dallas ISD, it's a big school district, but it was one of the last school districts to nail down a plan for reopening. And, um, and part of that, the board's responsibility was shifted to the superintendent, but I think that other districts, they were just nailing down the details, and that's something that I would like to see Dallas ISD do. Also, a, a policy that the district, I think, should adopt, and it's not just a policy, it's also a law, is making sure that every school has a nurse. And I know that Dallas ISD has some vacancies and that it's something that they're working on, but especially during this pandemic, every school has to have a nurse. And then especially because we have kids that have all sorts of different special needs and disabilities and that take medications in school, and the law says that we have to take care of these kids. So we cannot have a school without a nurse. So making sure that we are staffing and that we're staffing quickly. So for me, it's more about procedures than policies because if you don't follow the policies, and you know, it, 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 that's great that you have a policy, but we need to make sure that we follow procedures and that we are investigating what's going on when there's a problem and things aren't going the way they should. And though it's not the job of a trustee to get involved in the details, it is their job to have oversight and um, to uh, accountability. And I think it's completely appropriate to ask the administration, what policies and procedures have, are you putting in place to ensure that our students are safe, that every campus is staffed with a nurse, or that students have access to mental health professionals. This is a really difficult time. Our parents are stressed out, and students see that. Our kids are seeing that at home. They see when their dad got laid off work. They see, you know, if their mom is, you know, concerned because the school's not opening and she can't work. 
or you know, just all kinds of, um, we've seen a rise in, in, unfortunately, in domestic violence and child abuse cases. So there are some kids that are seeing that now more often. And we need to make sure that we have the mental health services and that we are partnering with people that can help our students as well and ensuring that we're looking out for them in every way that we can. But the oversight of the board, I think, is, is a big piece, especially when it comes to ensuring that the administration is doing its job and that it's following the policies and procedures that the board has set. Because we don't always follow policy. We don't even follow the law sometimes. Absolutely. Thank you for that response. I, I, I enjoyed that response. And I want to take you to another, I guess, layer. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to pull from you, Nancy Rodriguez. So I want you to be ready, okay? And I'm sure you will be. You know, I, I said earlier that you understand firsthand the struggles of parents and what they face and what they deal with in a big district like or a large district like Dallas ISD. I personally believe that you have to yourself be a witness of struggle to become resilient. I agree with I, I that. Believe that mm -hmm. I believe that it just doesn't fall out of a tree. Right. I believe that you, you had to go through something in order for you to figure out, I got to hunt for the good stuff. That's the only way I'm going to get to a positive mindset. Mm -hmm. So I would like for you to share with the listeners a personal story. And it could be about, you know, what you've experienced with COVID-19 and the struggles that some parents have faced or family members, schools, students, or you can share with us a story about your struggles within your youth development as a child growing up into a, an adult? So I've been um, fortunate that my family has pretty much stayed um, healthy and has not been um, directly affected by uh, COVID-19. And um, so that's something that I'm, that I'm really thankful for. I see my clients uh, struggle and I mean, but <laughs> so I have this, uh, this uh, client or, or this, this parent that I know and um, someone asked her how her child was adjusting to being at home with COVID-19 and the pandemic and not being able to really go out and do things and her daughter has autism. And she said, we're fine. She's, nothing's changed for us because my child doesn't get included anyway. We, I can't take her to the rec center and sign her up for some activity. Uh, you know, we're not, we don't get invited to birthday parties. I can, you know, sometimes I can't take her with me to shop because she can't tolerate uh, going to shop in the stores. So we live our life pretty much in quarantine all the time. And I thought that was so telling of what it's like for parents that have kids with learning differences and special needs. And, um, and I'll tell you, I 
I started off my career in foster care, but I'm just an advocate for children. I'm an advocate for all children, not just children with special needs. Um, I loved working with the foster care population, and I think it's just because I grew up in a neighborhood that was uh, a um, low-income, working-class neighborhood, and I grew up in Section 8 housing, and even though my dad worked, um, we still work we still qualified for food stamps and we got food stamps for a time and I saw how hard my dad struggled to to get ahead and he worked a factory job he took the bus every day from New York City into New Jersey to work at a at a at a cardboard box factory believe it or not and um and I but he understood that education was the way out of poverty and he took time to sit with us and teach us things and help us with our homework and ensure that we had enough books and we had enough school supplies and that we had the basics. We didn't have anything fancy. I didn't have anything designer, but I, he instilled in me um, just a sense of what we should value, what's important at the end of the day. And I think he was also a fighter. If something wasn't right, he was very vocal. He would speak out. He wasn't afraid to stand up for himself. And I think that I got that, my desire to help people in a way from him and my desire to speak up for people who can't speak for themselves um, by watching my dad and his struggles and the things that he had to endure sometimes and the things that he had to do to just get fair treatment. So when I see parents, not just, you know, parents of kids with special, any parents struggling or any child that is, you know, doesn't have what they need, um, I, I, I just, I can't stand by and watch. I have to do something about it. And um, so I think that that kind of formed um, the person that I am today. And, and I'm one of those people that I, I love what I do. I don't think everybody can say that. I think that we have... Um, you know, we all know people probably that um, do their job but hate it, and um, I can't say that. I think that I picked a career that is right for for the things that I value and for my personality. Absolutely. Well, before we go, I want you to tell people real quick about early voting and election day and why they need to vote. <laughs> yeah, so um, so early voting starts um, next Tuesday. It's right around the corner. I can't believe it. Um, this election was supposed to take place in May, May 2nd, and it was postponed because of COVID. So I've been um, campaigning for a really long time now, but it's given me the opportunity to meet a lot of really great people. I've met so many interesting people. I feel so blessed um, that I was able to do this and that I've had... So much support from friends and family and and new friends that I've made a bunch of new friends like you, Isaiah. Um, and um, so early voting starts Thank next you. Tuesday. <laughs> You're welcome. Early voting starts next Tuesday. It's so important. You can really make a difference at the local level by electing people that aren't just knowledgeable, but that genuinely care about our kids. And I hope that anyone that's listening can hear that I, I care about I care about my community and I care about these kids and I'm willing to put in the work and I, I, I um, I'm passionate and you can really make a difference and make sure that the school board stays focused on the priorities that 
the community sets out. I mean, we, we, your elected officials, they're public servants. They are there to serve you and your community. And in order to do that, you want to have a voice. You want to make sure that your opinions are heard. Go vote and be active and be involved and ask questions. And if anyone has any questions about me or my campaign, it's www.nancy4disc.com. And I also have a Facebook page, Nancy Rodriguez for DISC trustee. And I look forward to hearing from you all. And thank you, Isaiah. Thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Oh, pleasure's all mine. Nancy, before you go, let me ask you one more question. Uh, I saw your I saw your, your your pamphlets all throughout the neighborhood in White Rock, and I want to ask you a question. So it's, I saw one that said "Vote Nancy Rodriguez," and then it has A plus. Explain what that means to the listening audience, please. So that that's just my you know we were when I was looking at a logo that logo was designed by my aunt who lives in Virginia who's been very helpful on my campaign even though she lives in another state. And um, we were looking at different, um, she sent me a draft of three different logos, and I kind of liked that one the better, the, you know, the best of the three. And um, I mean, uh, if you vote for me, I am, uh, I'm going to give it everything I've got. I, I go above and beyond, and that's what that A plus stands for. It's for somebody that's going to go above and beyond. Wow, you heard it first. Well, this was another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This was episode 58. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Our panelist tonight was Nancy Rodriguez. Good night. Good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. 